You're listening to the On the NBA Beat Podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts left. The Lakers have two. And now, your hosts, Lauren Lee Chen and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. Hello friends, this is Aaron Fishman. Thanks for tuning in. As I'm sure you're aware, the 2022-23 NBA season is finally upon us, with four teams opening Tuesday night, October 18th. And the focus of this episode, the Minnesota Timberwolves will be tipping off the following night at home against the Thunder. We are now a couple episodes into our eighth season at On the NBA Beat, and somehow we had never had Derek James on until now. A couple months ago, he launched his own newsletter at buyderekjames.substack.com, and there he'll be expertly covering the Timberwolves, with some general NBA content sprinkled in as well. Over the years, Derek's work has appeared on A Wolf Among Wolves, Canis Hoopus, and 1500 ESPN in Minneapolis, among other places. As a first-time guest, as per tradition, we had to get a fun fact. It turns out Derek has a crippling fear of heights. Fortunately, however, this phobia has not soured him on the Timberwolves off-season acquisition of 7'1 Stifle Tower Rudy Gobert. Minnesota acquired the talented big man from Utah for a hefty price that included Patrick Beverly, Jared Vanderbilt, Malik Beasley, and four first-round picks, not to mention a few other assets. With the arrival of Gobert, the expected continued ascension of former top pick Anthony Edwards, and the squad looking to build off a 46-win campaign a season ago, Derek James is ready for, quote, one of the most anticipated seasons in Timberwolves history, end quote. And he gives us the skinny just ahead. Derek James, it's good to finally bring you on the podcast after all these years, and congratulations on the new newsletter, How's it going? Good, Aaron. Yeah, thanks both of you for having me. It's our pleasure. The Timberwolves are creating a lot of buzz around the league. They made some splashy offseason moves, and expectations are pretty high right now in Minnesota. So I'd love to just start with a general take on where you think the team stands right now. They did nearly go a perfect 5-0 and in the preseason, but there are some caveats. Towns and Gobert only played once together and twice apiece. So there are certainly some question marks about that. And we just haven't seen the team fully intact yet on the court together. But what do you take away from the preseason, if anything? I know a lot of times there's people jumping to conclusions from really good or really bad preseason records. Yeah, I, I don't think you can take a ton in it from, you know, as far as like wins and losses go. Like how many times have like the Kings, you know, had an undefeated preseason and, you know, it, and we all know how their last 16, 17 years have gone. Um, but no, I think with this team, like, yeah, I, I agree with everything you said there. You can't really take too much in with the Townsend Gobert stuff. But I think there's a lot of good stuff that we figured out with the rest of the roster and the way that the rotation shook out. I think it's pretty clear that, 
Jordan McLaughlin is going to be, you know, the backup point guard. I don't even think that was close. It didn't really seem like the Timberwolves needed to see much more once they got about halfway through the preseason. And just the way that the other um, bench players, like, you know, like um, Bryn Forbes, I mean, it's it's very clear he's going to be the guy off the bench who's just going to come in and take all the shots that you know, you're, <laughs> he can get. Um, and I think that was really one of the biggest things that I wanted to see because they just had so many guards. I mean, they also added Austin Rivers. Jalen Noel is still in that mix. And then, um, you know, like even PJ Dozier, who I liked a lot in Denver and, you know, who played under Tim Connolly's regime there too. And he didn't even make the roster. And I think that, you know, he has some value as an NBA player still. So I think that it was, it was still productive to sort out. And I think, you know, even in the front court, you know, get an extended look at like Nas Reed, um, lots of playing time for Kyle Anderson. There's definitely still a lot of good things to figure out, even without Townsend Gobert. I think, you know, it's kind of interesting that they didn't play more together, but, uh, you know, maybe they're working on that enough behind the scenes where they didn't need too much more of an extended look than we got in the preseason. Yeah. And Lauren is really excited to ask you more about the Towns and Gobert pairing a little bit later. And I'm fascinated to hear you talk about that, too. But for right now, I want to drill down a little bit more specifically on your expectations for the team. In a recent post that you made, I think it was the latest one, you referred to the upcoming season as one of the most anticipated seasons in Timberwolves history. I think that's really a great and exciting way to put it. The NBA GM survey tended to agree where they had the Timberwolves tied for sixth place, I believe, with the Dallas Mavericks. So I'd love to hear your take on how that jives with what you're expecting from the team and what are the best and worst case scenarios. I know anything could really happen in an NBA season, especially with a team so young and uh, bringing in a new core piece. But how do you expect things to shake out? Yeah. And I think that's, you know, that's the cool thing about a team like Minnesota making a move like this. And there are a lot of people like it's so much. And, you know, like why the Timberwolves do this? And, you know, and it definitely struck me as a lot. I think when the Gobert trade first went down and seeing all those picks and then hearing Tim Connolly talk about how he feels like they kind of probably maxed out their ceiling last year. And just looking at it, I mean, if you have Patrick Beverly, you know, and there's really sort of like your cultural leader and tone setter. But like, you know, how are you getting, you know, even better and taking the next step there? And so I think that is really what where this trade has really pushed the Timberwolves. You could see them reasonably, you know, having home court, at least in the first round or, you know, maybe even in a second round series. That's a realistic scenario, but I think those projections that also have them, you know, sixth, seventh in the West, you know, with Dallas are also reasonable because there are just so many good teams. And I think a big determining factor in where they finish is probably going to be, you know, how many nights does, you know, Jamal Murray get off in Denver? You know, is Michael Porter going to be healthy? Or, you know, with the Clippers, it, you know, are Kawhi and PG going to be getting regular rest nights, you know, where they might not take the regular season quite as seriously but you know they're well rested for the playoffs Mm -hmm. and they're still a threat then so i do think there's potentially some opportunities within the west there for them to steal some depending on how other teams operate uh yeah i I think there's there's a range of possibilities and i'd probably say those do extend from you know the top of the play-in to home court in the first round 
Um, which, you know, which seems, you know, kind of disappointing when you make a move like that. But like you said, this is a team that's on the upswing. And I think, you know, if, unless, you know, other factors in this too could just be Anthony Edwards, Jaden McDaniels, you know, some of these younger guys, you know, also improving like we think they should. Um, that could also, you know, really just make other teams have to adapt to what they do as well. Yeah, and as I mentioned earlier, there are a lot of young, promising players on this roster, so developing those guys is going to be paramount. But on the other side of the coin, there are more established players, and they're still young, like D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns. But from my perspective, what you see is kind of what you'll be getting from them. At this stage of their career, they've pretty much shown what they can be. Um, and, and then Rudy Gobert has also been in the league for a long time, and we know what he can do. But with that said, I'm wondering how the front office appears to be viewing this team, balancing the need to develop young players, but also with the need to finally see some results in the postseason. And, and as it relates to Chris Finch, I'd also love if you could touch on that. He's entering his second full season as head coach of the Timberwolves. And if stuff doesn't pan out, will he have a pretty hot seat? Or because they brought in a new core piece, is there going to be a little bit more patience with him? So I think the Chris Finch piece of that's a little easier to answer. I think that he has a pretty good leash right now. He's in some good graces. I don't really know what it would take <laughs> for that to change. I would think that he would. there would be some grace for this year. Um but I think if things did it, you know, turn around or improve, I think next season would be the one where you would probably start, he would start to feel the heat just because mm-hmm. I do think that, you know, the way that he has contributed to this turnaround. And I think even D'Angelo Russell has been more appealing to watch under Chris Finch. I think he's really helped um, minimize some of D'Lo's negative tendencies. And actually I think make him fit more into, you know, sort of a, a team concept, but I mean, I think part of, you know, D'Angelo Russell's brand is those, you know, contested, annoying stepbacks that, you know, Hey, he makes them. Um, and then other times, you know, it's, it's frustrating because, you know, he, yeah. he takes difficult shots and I think it's really hard to, you know, build a career based off taking difficult shots when, you know, you could, you know, find easier shots, you know, somewhere else on the floor. And I think to that point, I think Gobert kind of helps with that too. But I think to your point about the front office and how they view this, one thing that we've seen in the past with this team is, you know, like I think with the Tom Thibodeau regime, um, you know, and the veterans that he would bring in, you know, they were, you know, Lou Aldang, who hadn't played for the Lakers in two, three years, you know, and who is over 30 and um, Taj Gibson, you know, love Taj. One of the, one of the, probably the best guys to talk to um, in the game. But, you know, like there, there was really no, you know, they were probably on the back ends of their primes, you know, to put it generously. And, you know, you would just hope that, you know, they would, you know, the clock wouldn't run out on them. And, you know, then you'd be like, well, (laughs) this guy can't do anything. We really hope when we're really banking on him to do stuff. Um, Kyle Anderson can still contribute. Torian Prince can contribute. Um, I think even with Austin Rivers, we saw, you know, in the preseason, you know, where teams tried to post him up, you know, with other guards and he, he, he defended it well. And it's like, you don't really need much more from, you know, your fifth, sixth guard um, than that, just, you know, a veteran, you know, who can come in and just knows where to be and what to do, but is still young enough to be a useful player. So I think that's the big thing. Like they have these young guys that can get better. And, you know, I touched on this yesterday too, in my um, piece, but, you know, this is the first time this team has actually developed players. 
And so, you know, when you can actually develop the players that you have and then still bring in useful veterans like Torian Prince, like Kyle Anderson, I think that's really a recipe for success in this league. Mm -hmm. And Anthony Edwards only turned 21 in August. Pretty scary. He finished second in Rookie of the Year voting a couple of seasons ago and took a huge step forward in his play last season. Where are the improvement areas that you're looking at in his third season for him to continue that trajectory towards star or even superstardom? That's the thing with Anthony Edwards. I have no idea what his ceiling could be. Just because he came into the league, you know, it was very clear that before he got to Georgia and with Tom Crean that he had not really been coached. And he had probably just been running over guys with his athleticism. And it was just, you know, he just really sort of needed that structure. And so we saw that he went from, I remember his rookie year, Jared Vanderbilt um, pointing to spots on the floor where, you know, he needed to go on defense and just being totally lost. Like he had never played team defense before, I'm pretty sure. And so just to see him become even just a playmaker on defense, I think is, is big and not to be a liability like that. And I think the defensive side of it is huge, especially, you know, at his size, there's no reason he shouldn't be, especially with, you know, his physical tools as well. You know, I I think that's one area I would look to for him to continue to improve. And, you know, that shot has from the outside, especially has just looked better and better. I mean, from, you know, out of the box, he was fearless in getting to the rim. You know, he knew he was built like a tight end going to the basket. That was never a problem, but I think it was really just getting that shot consistent. And if that gets more and more consistent, I mean, I don't, I don't really know what his limits are. Yeah, when he's at his best, he is scary good. We saw it in that first round exit at the hands of the Grizzlies, the series that they lost 4-2. He's one of the betting odds favorites, actually, to win the Most Improved Player Award this year. And I don't think that's surprising at all, given his age and his potential that's through the roof. But I think for that to happen, his efficiency... I think has to improve again. It noticeably improved in year two. We didn't actually see him get to the free throw line more really much relative to his rookie season. So I'd love to know if you think that that can improve with him being more aggressive and uh, especially if guys are not clogging the paint. I don't know if that will be a little bit of a challenge bringing in Rudy Gobert in there. But then also... Do you think that it's possible for him to shoot in the high 40s or given the volume that he's expected to have, is that more unlikely in your opinion? Yeah, so I think the big thing to remember with last year and what I think may have been a contributing factor, he was dealing with a knee injury for a lot of last winter and into the spring. So Mm -hmm. I don't know that he was particularly healthy until around playoff time. So I think that may have been a factor in his willingness to get in there and get to the line because, I mean, he's certainly built for it. You know, he doesn't look as, I don't know, reckless as like, you know, John Morant does where you're like, oh my gosh, like, is this guy taking years off his career? Um, you know, with some of these yeah. hits that he takes. Um, but he's he's a big guy. Um, he's got, I think, the durable frame for it. Um, so, he, you know, he should be. And I would think that if he's healthy, I think, yeah, absolutely. Getting to the line more is one thing that I would really hope for because that's that's really what the best players in the league do. Uh, I know James Harden annoyed people for a long time, but getting to the line consistently and at a high volume, I mean, that's, that's a real skill. And I think, you know, getting those easy points, you know, certainly be something that would be um, great for Anthony to improve on. And then, yeah, I think to your point about the volume and the efficiency with that, I mean, I think 
it's kind of hard to say right now. Like, I don't, I don't think it would surprise me if his shot, you know, crept, you know, higher into the forties um, because it, it looks good. And I think that he's just grown so much from year one to year two. And at such a rapid pace, um, you know, I think he's already surprised a lot of people already. Um, and I think he could do it again. But I don't know. I don't know about that given the volume because that's typically not what we would see. I don't know if we can necessarily expect that. Um, but yeah, it would be absolutely be cool to see. Hey, Derek, it's Lawrence speaking. Thanks again for joining us. I want to shift over to the other core returning piece for the Timberwolves, Carl Anthony Towns. He's had a well documented, very difficult uh, physically and emotionally couple last years. Uh, including this offseason, he had a somewhat mysterious illness that sent him to the hospital with a, and resulted in a significant weight loss. In Friday's preseason finale, he did play 33 minutes. Um, do you think that he's able to get back up to speed physically and production-wise uh, in recovering from that illness pretty quickly? Or what's your opinion there? Yeah, I think the illness and the hospitalization, I mean, that, that's always concerning, especially when it's an extended stay for, you know, a healthy young guy that, you know, you wouldn't expect to, you know, have to fight that hard to recover for it. And he also lost a bunch of weight during when he had COVID too. I think maybe the first mm-hmm. time, I think he's had it multiple times at this point. Yeah, I would, I would still anticipate him being able to rebound and recover. I mean, I think part of that too you know, what separates him from, you know, the rest of us who are not in the NBA is having access to, you know, those trainers and the healthcare professionals and all those people that can help with that recovery. I mean, I I haven't had a chance to watch last night's game against Brooklyn, but, you know, just seeing the stat line, it looks like he was still able to be productive and to be able to play 33 minutes of NBA basketball, you know, coming off a serious illness like that is definitely encouraging. But yeah, I would definitely expect him to rebound. And at least on the court last season, he had a very successful season, made his third all-star team, his second all-NBA third team. Over the summer, he signed the four-year Supermax extension worth $224 million. Clearly a very important piece to the franchise, and his tenure has meant a lot to them. But do you think there's still a lot of pressure on his shoulders, especially to finally win a playoff series? Yeah, I think there's definitely some pressure, I think, still on him, especially in the playoffs. You know, I mean, I think this has just come comes with being a great player. I mean, if you're going to be on all NBA teams, if you're going to be in all-star games, people are going to expect the most of you on the biggest stages, and we haven't really seen it. I mean, I remember this with Kevin Garnett. You know, you would, you would see Kevin Garnett's that he'd have like 19 points a game, but then also like 18 rebounds, and then you would look at his teammates, and, you know, the next highest scoring average would be like eight points a game, and... <laughs> You know, there was, it never seemed like KG got the help, but it seems like with Towns, you know, there are just all these weapons around him where in theory it should make his life much easier, you know, and especially I think now that the team has Gobert, there's extra focus on, you know, the team as a whole, but I think Carl Anthony Towns too, um, especially the people who were less than satisfied with what he did in the playoffs last year. Yeah, and finally, we've arrived at me asking a slew of questions about Rudy Gobert, possibly the (laughs) move of the offseason. First, transitioning from the Towns question, how do those two fit together? And do you expect them to go a lot of minutes with that style of Twin Towers lineup? Or are we going to see a lot of staggering of them as well? I would definitely anticipate some staggering. And I guess this is one downside of them not having played much together is we don't, we can't really get a read on or feel for 
what Chris Finch is intending to do, I would think there would be little reason why you would want to have, you know, both on the bench at the same time. But then I think there's also the benefit of having them both on the floor. Cause I mean, you have Rudy Gobert inside and that's, you know, that's 60% at least, you know, at the rim. And then you have Carl Anthony Towns who is, you know, 40% from outside. I mean, I think that's, that's a lot of value. And I think puts a unique, a unique stress on a defense and also what it does for the team, his teammates as well. Um, so I think that dynamic is really interesting. I wish I were smarter when it came to defensive stuff, but I'm also really interested to see how that looks defensively. One thing that did stand out to me when the trade went down is, you know, they gave up four first round picks to get Rudy Gobert. They didn't really trade anyone of consequence. I mean, Jared Vanderbilt is, you know, a guy that you'd like to have, but... Um, <laughs> is that a Timberwolf in the background? That is a 10-pound mini golden doodle. <laughs> so hardly a Timberwolf. <laughs> And that's just going back to the defensive side of it with, you know, Gobert and Towns. I think this is the biggest thing that we saw last year was Carl Anthony Towns just at times could not stay out of foul trouble. He could not stay on the floor. And this team needs Carl Anthony Towns on the floor. So, I mean, I think what it says to me is Tim Connolly got in there and was like, all right, we're going to stop trying to make this guy a defensive center. And we're going to go get a guy who we know can play how we need someone at that position to play. I don't think it's that, you know, oh, we don't like Carl. I think it's like, you know, we think he's best used in other ways. And they paid a premium for it. So, I mean, it definitely seems like not necessarily an indictment on Towns, but it definitely seems to be maybe a bit of a referendum on Towns and, you know, which position is best for him on that end of the floor. Plus, I mean, it's like they have Nas Reed, who, I mean, I think is just such a nice rotation big. Another guy... Um, they signed as an undrafted free agent in 2019 and they've developed and he's really blossomed into a guy that you trust out there. I mean, there aren't a lot of teams, I think, that can put out three guys at the center position like that where you're not like, oh, God, we just need to survive these, you know, 15 minutes a game, 20 minutes a game. Um, with Nas Reed, like you don't mind having him out there. He's a very useful and helpful player. So um, I think that should help with the staggering where you don't feel like you need to have Townsend go bear out there all the time. Or, you know, if there are times when you do need to rest both guys, you know that Nasri can hold it down for four to six minutes. And for good reason, a lot has been written for Gobert's impact on the defensive end. But I'm also curious how he affects how the Timberwolves offense is going to look. One interesting stat that I see quoted a lot is that last season, the Timberwolves had 16 total alley-oop dunks and Rudy Gobert alone had 76, which is kind of <laughs> staggering. So wh- what have you seen there so far? Yeah, I, I'm definitely expecting that to change quite a bit. I know that when the trade first went down, I was um, tweeting with uh, Britt Robson, who does some work for the Mint Post and The Athletic in Minnesota. You know, I was saying like, I, you know, I thought when this went down that, you know, D'Angelo Russell might be the odd man out now. And, you know, his counter was, you know, no, I think it's going to be just the opposite. I think this was a good point that, you know, Russell's going to have a great lob target. I mean, maybe somewhat like, you know, Jared Allen in Brooklyn, only a little better. So I think, that, you know, he'll make D'Angelo Russell look better. And I think, you know, there'll just be this, you know, also effect on, you know, teams who, you know, in the pick and roll where, you know, they have all these different looks they can throw at defenses now. I suppose the main negative thing that people have been saying is that especially once you get to the playoffs, historically, the role of big men tends to diminish a lot in the postseason. And that seems to have been the case, at least for Rudy Gobert in his years with the Jazz. Is that 
a legitimate fear here? Or is there anything that Minnesota can do to uh, mitigate that factor? So I think the first thing with this is that this team has made the playoffs twice in the last 18 years. (laughs) So (laughs) I think the focus should still be, you know, getting back to the playoffs. Um, But yeah, I I think there's something to that. I know that some people bristle when you say, oh, Rudy Gobert got played off the floor. Um, But for whatever reason, I mean, I mean, I think his impact was, you know, maybe less than to a degree for whatever reason, whether, you know, it was, you know, related to the supporting cast and not having, you know, the weapons around him. And, you know, this is this is a different team than those Utah teams. So you can't just dismiss those concerns entirely. We have the hope that, you know, with Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell, that they can get back on track. Now, I mean, D'Angelo Russell looked terrible against Memphis in that playoff series. I mean, so there's there's also that. Um, so I think there's some things they got to figure out there. But I mean, this is, I think that's the way that the league has changed, you know, and needing guys on the perimeter, I think, who can go get buckets. I mean, unless you're Nikola Jokic, I mean, how many teams are running their offense through their centers? I think there's, you can throw Towns in that too, where like, you know, that's, I th- that was a thing early on where, you know, Towns, you know, talking about get more touches and things like that. Like, this is really a, a perimeter-driven league, largely, even though we do have talented bigs. So I think a lot of that, too, is, you know, on Anthony Edwards' development. And I think that, you know, that's part of this trade is betting on Anthony Edwards becoming more of that guy, um, or at least getting closer to it. You might throw Embiid in there, I guess. That's yeah, the yeah, that's fair. <laughs> Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more show. NBA fans, the wait is over. Basketball is back, so tip off the season with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can make any $5 NBA Moneyline bet and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Check this out. In addition to the usual bets, everyone can boost their winnings up to 100% with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, opt-in, and place a stepped-up same-game parlay today. With payouts bigger than ever, DraftKings Sportsbook is where I go to bet on the NBA. One game that I've got my eye on is the very first game of the season, where the Celtics are a two-point favorite at home against the Philadelphia 76ers. I might pair that with the under 215 total points, which is looking like a really juicy way to start off a stepped-up same-game parlay. You can get in on that action too by downloading the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN, make any $5 bet this week, and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with promo code TBPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. This is Billy Bowl of The Wolf Among Wolves, and I am on the NBA beat. Do you think that on the front office side, they're done tinkering or are there possible in-season moves on the horizon as well? I know, you know, as you said, some people were thinking that D'Angelo Russell might be the odd man out, I suppose, of the Timberwolves currently. His name is probably mentioned the most frequently in trade rumors, especially given Mm -hmm. the size of his contract, which is at $31 million. Yeah, so I think... There, there might be some moves to be able to make. I think that they might have to really wait a couple of years, I think, until they can, you know, maybe even, you know, move a pick again before they can do that. But even that would be so far out, I think. But I think there are definitely some minor moves they could probably make, but probably definitely have to be a one for one, you know, just to make the salaries match. But I think the big challenge if they did want to trade Russell was, I mean, he's, he would be quite the expensive rental. 
Um, and I just don't know. D'Angelo Russell has his flaws. We all know that, but I don't know what you're trading for him on an expiring contract that actually makes the team better because there really isn't that other clear option behind Russell that makes them better. And I don't know who you're getting for him. That's going to make the team better. Cause I can't imagine a team parting with, you know, a, a valuable ball handling guard that they're going to want to be willing to make that swap for. Um, so I wouldn't anticipate that. I just think if they make any, do anything else right now. It's probably just some smaller moves on the margins where, you know, maybe they use some sort of exception to get, you know, some guy, you know, who makes, you know, some small impact in the, you know, the fringes of the rotation, uh, but it's hard to see anything too major at this point. Like, I think Jada McDaniels is probably off the table. I mean, he's the reason that you gave up that extra pick. And he's now the starting small forward and another, you know, homegrown guy. So I can't imagine that they would really be open to doing anything with him unless, you know, someone really came and blew them away. Um, but given their cap situation, I think that would also be a tough one to navigate. So I think they're, this is probably largely set. Um, and anything, I guess, the short answer would be that probably just be made on the fringes. You just mentioned Jaden McDaniels. That sets me up perfectly for this question. That's why I did it. Yeah, thank you. Much appreciated. <laughs> this is going to be year three for McDaniels. He's really been showing some stuff over the last couple of seasons, especially near the end of last year. What are people, and and more specifically, I'm interested in what the team is expecting out of him this year. Another jump, possibly? Yeah, I think that's absolutely part of it. And I think that's probably part of why that they w- they're willing to give up the extra pick to retain McDaniels and see, you know, what he can be. Um, I mean, I remember his rookie year and I'm like, oh, this guy, he's, you know, he he looks, you know, wiry and lanky. Um, but what was always kind of impressive that even at 19, 20 years old is, you know, just how strong he was even you know, with his frame. And it looks like, you know, he's continued to, you know, improve and work hard and, and just continue to get stronger there. But then, you know, he also provides that threat from the outside where, you know, he can shoot, he can shoot pretty consistently now. Whereas before, like, you know, we saw glimpses of it and then he kind of had that slow start beginning of the last season where some people wondered if, you know, if he was kind of, you know, hearing his own hype too much, but no, it definitely seems like they want, they envision him sort of being that lengthy three and D forward. Um, I think at either position, I mean, I've, there's real value in that guy who can at least defend all those front, all the front court positions and, you know, even the three, two. So he's a really interesting prospect. And um, I think, you know, like Edwards, I think, you know, that's just those 2020 and the, or the 2019 and those, the 2020 draft. Like, I think that they got, they got so much talent out of those. It's amazing. And over to a couple of the veterans that were brought in, Kyle Anderson is battle tested. He's, he's been in the postseason multiple years he has that experience in san antonio and memphis what would be important for him to bring to the table in this scenario and do you see austin rivers if he's able to garner some minutes doing a little bit of a lesser version of that from an experience and veteran perspective yeah i think that's i think Aaron, you hit it right there with like with kyle anderson and all his experience and just the not just the on the court experience, but just the environments that he's been in. I mean, I, th- I think there is value in being in those teams, in those organizations that you know are successful, that have built something. I mean, I think he's he's seen it sort of you know at the end of the Spurs and then you know the ascension of Memphis. Like I think and being able to bring that to the locker room of a team that's you know really in the same position as those Grizzlies teams. And what I like about him is that you don't really need to give him the ball. 
to be useful. Um, I think he can do a lot of little things that help facilitate without needing too many touches. And I think given all the other options on the floor, um, that's that's really just all they need from him. And I think the same thing for Austin Rivers. You know, if there's one game where he gets 20 points and that's the highlight of the season, awesome. Um, but if he comes in for, you know, 12 to 15 minutes and just to hold things down, I think that's also great too. Um, I think one thing that really separates this team from other teams is that just the depth on this team. I mean, I think other iterations, this was the Timberwolves three years ago. You know, Austin Rivers, you know, potentially could have been, you know, a fringe starter. You know, that 2018, 2019 team that had like Shabazz Napier and um, Travante Graham and all those guys who are, you know, who are gone all by midseason. Um, so I think it really just speaks to how deep this team is where it's like, yeah, Austin Rivers might not play some nights um, just with all the, you know, the younger guys in front of him. But I think that if there gets to be a point where whether it's injuries or, you know, the team just needs someone to come in and settle things down, I think having veterans like Rivers and Kyle Anderson and bringing back Torian Prince, the guys have just been around the block. I think that's that's just super useful to have, even if they're not the most talented guys on your roster, you know, but just guys who can just, you know, let you catch your breath. And Derek, it's been a joy to have you on. We've known you for a number of years and been following your work. So anytime we can get a reporter like that on the podcast is a thrill for us. So we really want to thank you again for taking the time out of your day to do this ahead of the NBA season. But I do have one final question for you. And that involves some of the younger players. I have a feeling you may say Nas Reed here because you teased it a little bit earlier, but which young Timberwolves potential seems to most excite Tim Connolly and company at this point heading into the season? I mean... <laughs> that we haven't mentioned yet. So yeah, so I'm excluding Anthony Edwards and uh, Jaden McDaniels in this. Yeah, so I'm really interested in... I mean, I've talked a lot about Nas Reed, but I think that one of the big questions i think one of the the most important role i think that the timberwolves really need is a good season from jordan mclaughlin um i think as that you know that backup point guard he's really moved the ball nicely this preseason which i think is really what they need um he's not he's not the biggest guy but i think i think that'll be fine especially since you know you know russell and edwards are so large i think that there are ways to make that work plus you know he's still young but definitely having him being able to come into the game and set up teammates run the offense i think that's that's exactly what this team needs to help alleviate some of the the ball handling responsibilities on both you know russell edwards or whoever else because you know they'll have you know jalen noel i think you know another interesting young guy but i think you know i can imagine you know like him and like brim forbes in a similar role you know where you just want those get those shots off the bench. But I think McLaughlin is going to be the guy they're going to ask, you know, for extended times, like to really run that bench unit. And, you know, I mean, you know, it's a long season. We've seen Edwards and Russell go out. And I think there would be stretches where, you know, he may need to be ready to go go into the starting lineup. So I think that there's, I think that's one guy I'd be really interested in. I don't know that McLaughlin really has like that superstar upside, but as far as valuable secondary ball handler, absolutely. Like, I think that's a really going to be a really important role. And right now it's McLaughlin's job. As Trojan alums, Lauren and I are not mad at you highlighting Jordan McLaughlin <laughs> right there. Fight on. It's going to be an exciting season for him and, and these Timberwolves. I'm excited for McLaughlin to continue to have an opportunity to carve out an NBA career for himself. But I'm even more excited about seeing what this team can do this season. So 
thank you, Derek, for uh, coming on and illuminating more about this team for us. It was a pleasure. Yeah, thanks, guys. Appreciate you both having me on. It's good to do this. Thank you. Enjoy the season. Thanks again to Derek James for joining us for this episode. If you want to read more from Derek, you can follow him on Twitter at DerekJamesNBA and by subscribing to buyderekjames.substack.com. This episode was produced and edited by Aaron Fishman and myself, Lauren Lee Chen. You can find more from us at ByAaronFish and at Lauren L. Chen on Twitter, respectively. If you liked what you heard, we encourage you to subscribe to our show by searching on the NBA beat wherever podcasts are found. It would be especially appreciated if you left a five-star rating and review while you're there. On the NBA Beat is part of the Basketball Podcast Network.